Hey there, Ken folk. This is Uncle Maduro. Look, if y'all been enjoying these little pie talks here I'll be giving, then won't y'all consider buying old Uncle Maduro a cigar? You can go right there to my little wave page there and donate. Donate to Uncle Maduro just for the price of one cigar. And man, let me tell you, I keep on doing these little talks here that I be giving. So now that I've done harassing y'all like a cigar at the beach, let's get back to the talk. All right now. How y'all doing that? Sure like to thank y'all for stopping by to have a cigar with Uncle Maduro. Man, look at him. Now before we get started, y'all always know like tell y'all what I'm smoking on. And tonight, I'm smoking on something rare. I'm smoking on something rare like looking at a cuckoo bird. I'm smoking on a Padron Maduro. Man, let me tell you something. Now I don't smoke these all the time because it's a high price point on this stick, this stick here. But it's a really, really, really good stick. Now before I tell y'all what I think about this Patron Maduro, I'm gonna show y'all what I'm gonna tell y'all what these folks say, okay? Now these folks say this Patron cigars embody the spirit of Nicaragua. All made entirely from tobacco grown in the nation's dark, fertile soils. There's an undeniable legendary brand known for worldwide for the consistency. Each and every cigar providing a reliable, perfect draw, perfect balanced flavors, and classic presentation. The Flagstar Lines, Padron and Padron Maduro are sometimes overlooked for the 1926 and 1964 anniversary series. It still makes an excellent everyday treat for quality-minded connoisseurs. Connoisseurs who got this kind of money to smoke a $22 stick every day. Okay? The Padron Maduro contains the same filling blend as the original Padron. With a heavy Maduro wrapper on the top, the deepest of flavor notes while keeping the strength at a smooth, medium body. A rich, complex aroma gives way to a toasty profile with leather and espresso undertones and lingering finish with just the right amount of sweetness and spice. If you're looking for the best of what Nicaragua has to offer without breaking the bank, grab a box of these Padrones and get the puffin'. Padron Maduro has earned an impressive array of 90% ratings, as high as 93 one reviewer noted, deliciously nutted, the slightly pressed torpedo has an underlying toastiness complement by notes of cocoa powder and a sweet, naughty finish. Man, let me tell you, that show is a mouthful. Now, let me tell y'all, Uncle Maduro show enjoy this stick here. This was a good stick here, but like I say, I can't smoke this cigar here every day because the price point is a little high. Usually the price point of cigars I smoke every day is in the price range anywhere from eight to ten or eleven, from eight to eleven dollars. You know that's probably everyday stick to me. Okay, this thing here is very, very special, and I really, really enjoy it. So next time y'all let y'all local cigar spot, y'all goes out there and y'all see if y'all can find this stick here at your local spot first. If you can't find this Padron Maduro at your local spot, then y'all go online and see our hotel somewhere like that and see if y'all can get this stick online. But you got to try Now, one thing I enjoy about Padron, I haven't had not one bad Padron yet. The consistency from Padron is just awesome all across the board. All across the board. Man, I tell you, definitely a go-to cigar. I got one cigar, buddy. That's all he smoke is Padron. It's, it is like rare, like seeing a cuckoo bird if you see him. Well, if he ain't got a Padron, this ain't it. That's like seeing a unicorn. Always smoking a Padron because it's consistent. Man, and this Maduro, and y'all know I like Maduros. <laughs> so
So, you know, what can I say? All right. But look here tonight. I got to talk for y'all. Now we're going to switch the page because y'all knows I like talking about different things. I just don't like to get stuck on one thing like quicksand. You see what I'm saying? I like to talk about different stories that I'm interested in. And right now, let me tell y'all something. There's only a few things that I'm scared of. Probably more than a few. But I'm scared of the IRS. I'm scared of the FBI. I'm scared of hackers. Now, let me tell y'all something. These hacker folks out here with these computers, they ain't no joke. I kind of tell folks all the time who like all these electronics inside their house. Then let me tell you something. Anything electronically can be hacked. And if it can be hacked, it can be tracked. And it is being hacked. So tonight, I got a little talk here for y'all. Something that I came across. It's called Pawn to Own. And it's P-W-N to Own. Now, these the Pawn to Own is like a conference. You see what I'm saying? Where hackers get together to see if they can hack into stuff. You know, like web browsers, like, you know, Firefox or, you know, MacBooks or even Tesla cars. You know, these folks get together to see if they can hack stuff. Now, I'm trying to hold back on what I want to talk about because I'm almost getting started here. But before I get running my mouth, I'm going I'm to I'm give y'all the presentation. I'm going to let y'all take a listen to this. And then we're going to come back on the flip side and talk about it. Because this is very interesting to me. I mean, it's very interesting. See, I'm telling y'all, we're moving into the cyber age if we are not already there. Okay? But y'all take a listen to this. I'm going to kick back and I'm going to pop on my expensive Padron Maduro. <laughs> and y'all take a listen to this. And I'm going to come back and talk to y'all on the flip side. All right? All right now. Before we get into the little talk here, I'd like to make a correction from a podcast I did on uh, schools to prisons. When I was talking about Marcus Garvey, it wasn't in the 70s. When I was talking about Marcus Garvey, it was around about 1920s, early 1920s, when Marcus Garvey had his back to Africa. And another correction I got to make is, when I'm talk, telling y'all it was my, my buddy Big C. Well, it was Big C, but he wasn't talking about him and his brothers and sisters. He was talking about his parents. His parents, well, not, not both his parents, but uh, his pa. His pa family was going to go back to Africa on one of Marcus Garvey's ships, you see. And uh, so if his pa would have went back, then he wouldn't have been born. But it was his father, not Big C, it was his brothers, but it was a Big C father. Parents were going to take his father and their siblings back over to Africa with Marcus Garvey. Now, Another correction I got to make is Marcus Garvey didn't have any ships. Marcus Garvey was taking was uh, taking investments per se. You know he was uh, per se people can buy stock. People can buy stock in his ships in his because he was planning on purchasing these ships. He was just selling stock in order to be able to get the money to buy them. Excuse me, to buy the ships. But the federal government stepped in. Federal government stepped in and shut him down. So they didn't want them folks going back to Africa. They didn't want that. Right? So they got him on uh uh uh, uh, uh what is that that stock uh, stock fraud. They got him on stock fraud. Because they say that he was taking money from the people he was he was defrauding the people. Almost like a Bernie a Bernie Madoff. 
if I give a good example, almost like a Bernie Madoff. Now, all right, so that's just my correction there. In school to prison, I'm talking about Marcus Garvey. It wasn't in the 19, early 70s. It was actually the early 1920s when Marcus Garvey had his back to Africa. And it wasn't Big C, his brother's sister, but it was Big C father, parents, that were going to take uh, his father siblings back over to Africa. And, and the government did shut him down, but the government shut him down by sending Marcus Garvey to jail for the same thing first say David uh, Bernie Madoff did. But see, but they uh, well, I'm going to get in that because, I, like I said, I don't, I don't mess with the government. Okay. <laughs> All right, now. Let's take a look at pwn to own What is it? pwn to own is a computer hacking contest held annually at the Ken SEC West Security Conference. First held in April 2007 in Vancouver, the contest is now held twice a year, most recently in November 2019. Contestants are challenged to exploit widely used software and mobile devices with previously unknown vulnerabilities. Winners of the contest receive the device that they exploited and a cash prize. The Pwn to Own contest serves to demonstrate the vulnerability of devices and software in widespread use while also providing a checkpoint on the progress made in security since the previous year. History Origins The first contest in 2007 was conceived and developed by Dragos Ruyu in response to his frustration with Apple Incorporated's lack of response to the month of Apple Bugs and the month of Kernel Bugs 8 as well as Apple's television commercials that trivialized the security built into the competing Windows operating system. At the time, there was a widespread belief that, despite these public displays of vulnerabilities in Apple products, OS X was significantly more secure than any other competitors. On March 20th, Roughly three weeks before Ken SEC West that year, Ruyu announced the Pwn to Own contest to security researchers on the Daily Dave mailing list. The contest was to include two MacBook Pros that he would leave on the conference floor hooked up to their own wireless access point. Any conference attendee that could connect to this wireless access point and exploit one of the devices would be able to leave the conference with that laptop. There was no monetary reward. The name Pwn to Own was derived from the fact that contestants must PON or hack the device in order to own or win it. On the first day of the conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Ruyu asked Terry Forsloff of the Zero Day Initiative, ZDI, to participate in the contest. ZDI has a program which purchases zero-day attacks, reports them to the affected vendor and turns them into signatures for their own network intrusion detection system, increasing its effectiveness. The vulnerabilities sold to ZDI are made public only after the affected vendor has issued a patch for it. Forsloff agreed to have ZDI offer to purchase any vulnerabilities used in the contest for a flat price of $10,000. The first contest subsequently exposed a high-profile QuickTime flaw, which was disclosed to Apple on April 23 and patched in early May. In 2008 the scope of the Pwn to Own contest was expanded. Targets included three laptops running the default installation of Windows Vista, OS X, or Ubuntu Linux. Mobile devices were added in 2009. For 2012 the rules were changed to a capture the flag style competition with a point system, at and Chrome was successfully exploited for the first time, by regular competitor Viewpen. After withdrawing from the contest that year due to new disclosure rules, in 2013 Google returned as a sponsor and the rules were changed to require full disclosure of exploits and techniques used. Google ceased to be a sponsor of Pwn to Own in 2015. Recent years. In 2015, Every web browser tested was successfully hacked and every prize won, totaling $557,500. Other prizes such as laptops were also given to winning researchers. In 2018, 
the conference was much smaller and sponsored primarily by Microsoft, after China banned its security researchers from participating in the contest. Pwn to Own continues to be sponsored by Trend Micro's Zero Day Initiative, with ZDI reporting vulnerabilities to vendors before going public with the hacks. One of the largest hacking contests in the world according to TechCrunch, as of 2019 the contest continues to be held several times a year. Pwn to Own Tokyo was held November 6th to November 7th in Tokyo, Japan, and was expected to hand out $750,000 in cash and prizes. Hacks focus on browsers, virtual machines, computers, and phones. In 2019, the contest added cars for the first time, with $900,000 offered for hacks exploiting Tesla software. In 2019, the contest added industrial control systems. Award system. Winners of the contest receive the device that they exploited and a cash prize. Winners also receive a master's jacket celebrating the year of their win. Yearly contests. 2007. The contest took place from Thursday, April 18th to Saturday, April 20th, 2007 in Vancouver. The first contest was intended to highlight the insecurity of Apple's Mac OS X operating system since, at the time, there was a widespread belief that OS X was far more secure than its competitors. Concerning rules, only two MacBook Pro laptops, 113 and 115, were left on the conference floor at Ken SEC West and joined to a separate wireless network. Only certain attacks were allowed and these restrictions were progressively loosened over the three days of the conference. Day 1 allowed remote attacks only, Day 2 had browser attacks included, while Day 3 allowed local attacks, where contestants could connect with a USB stick or Bluetooth. In order to win the 15 MacBook Pro, contestants would be required to further escalate their privileges to root after gaining access with their initial exploit. The laptops were not hacked on the first day. After the $10,000 prize was announced by ZDI, Shane McCauley called up former co-worker Dino Dizovi in New York and urged him to compete in the second day. In one night, Dizovi found and exploited a previously unknown vulnerability in a QuickTime library loaded by Safari. The following morning, Dizovi sent his exploit code to McCauley, who placed it on a website and emailed the contest organizers a link to it. When clicked, the link gave McCauley control of the laptop, winning the contest by proxy for Dizovi, who gave McCauley the 15 MacBook Pro. Dizovi separately sold the vulnerability to ZDI for the $10,000 prize. 2008. Pwn to Own 2008 took place from Thursday, March 26 to Saturday, March 28, 2008. After the successful 2007 contest, the scope of the contest expanded to include a wider array of operating systems and browsers. The contest would demonstrate the widespread insecurity of all software in widespread use by consumers. Dragos refined the contest with the help of a wide panel of industry experts and the contest was administered by ZDI, who would again offer to purchase the vulnerabilities after their demonstration. As with all the vulnerabilities that ZDI purchases, the details of the vulnerabilities used in Pwn to Own would be provided to the affected vendors and public details would be withheld until a patch was made available. All contestants who successfully demonstrated exploits at the contest could sell their vulnerabilities to ZDI for prizes of $20,000 on the first day, $10,000 on the second day, and $5,000 on the third day. As in the previous year's contest, only certain attacks were allowed on each day. Targets included three laptops running the default installation of Windows Vista Ultimate SP1, Mac OS X 10.5.2, or Ubuntu Linux 7. Day 1 saw remote attacks only, contestants had to join the same network as the target laptop and perform their attack without user interaction and without authentication. Day 2 had browser and instant messaging attacks included, 
as well as malicious website attacks with links sent to organizers to be clicked. Day 3 had third-party client applications included. Contestants could target popular third-party software such as browsers, Adobe Flash, Java, Apple Mail, iChat, Skype, AOL, and Microsoft Silverlight. Concerning outcome, the laptop running OS X was exploited on the second day of the contest with an exploit for the Safari browser co-written by Charlie Miller, Jake Onoroff, and Mark Daniel of Independent Security Evaluators. Their exploit targeted an open-source subcomponent of the Safari browser. The laptop running Windows Vista SP1 was exploited on the third day of the contest with an exploit for Adobe Flash co-written by Shane McCauley, Alexander Sotyrov, and Derek Calloway. After the contest, Adobe disclosed that they had co-discovered the same vulnerability internally and had been working on a patch at the time of Pwn 2 own. The laptop running Ubuntu was not exploited. 2009 Pwn 2 own 2009 took place over the three days of Ken SEC West from Thursday March 18th to Saturday March 20, 2009. After having considerably more success targeting web browsers than any other category of software in 2007, the third Pwn 2 own focused on popular browsers used on consumer desktop operating systems. It added another category of mobile devices which contestants were challenged to hack via many remote attack vectors including email, SMS messages, and website browsing. All contestants who demonstrated successful exploits at the contest were offered rewards for the underlying vulnerabilities by ZDI, $5,000 for browser exploits and $10,000 for mobile exploits. Concerning web browser rules, browser targets were Internet Explorer 8, Firefox, and Chrome installed on a Sony Veo running Windows 7 Beta and Safari and Firefox installed on a MacBook running Mac OS X. All browsers were fully patched and in default configurations on the first day of the contest. As in previous years, the attack surface contest expanded over the three days. On day one, contestants had to target functionality in the default browser without access to any plugins. On day two, Adobe Flash, Java, Microsoft.NET Framework, and QuickTime were included. On day three, other popular third-party plugins were included like Adobe Reader. Multiple winners per target were allowed, but only the first contestant to exploit each laptop would get it. Mobile device targets included BlackBerry, Android, Apple iPhone 2.0, T-Mobile G1, Symbian, Nokia N95, and Windows Mobile, HTC Touch, phones in their default configurations. As with the browser contest, the attack surface available to contestants expanded over three days. In order to prove that they were able to successfully compromise the device, contestants had to demonstrate they could collect sensitive data from the mobile device or incur some type of financial loss from the mobile device owner. On day one, the device could receive SMS, MMS, and email but messages could not be read. Wi-Fi, if on by default, Bluetooth, if on by default, and radio stack were also in scope. On day two, SMS, MMS, and email could be opened and read. Wi-Fi was turned on and Bluetooth could be turned on and paired with a nearby headset, additional pairing disallowed. Day 3 allowed one level of user interaction with the default applications. Multiple winners per device were allowed, but only the first contestant to exploit each mobile device would get it, along with a one-year phone contract. Concerning outcome, based on the increased interest in competing in 2009, ZDI arranged a random selection to determine which team went first against each target. The first contestant to be selected was Charlie Miller. He exploited Safari on OS X without the aid of any browser plugins. In interviews after winning the contest, Miller stressed that while it only took him minutes to run his exploit against Safari it took him many days to research and develop the exploit he used 49 a researcher identified only as Nils was selected to go after Miller. 
Nail successfully ran an exploit against Internet Explorer 8 on Windows 7 Beta. In writing this exploit, Nails had to bypass anti-exploitation mitigations that Microsoft had implemented in Internet Explorer 8 and Windows 7, including Data Execution Protection (DEP) and Address Space Layout Randomization (ASLR). 2850 Nails continued trying the other browsers. Although Miller had already exploited Safari on OS X, Nails exploited this platform again, then moved on to exploit Firefox successfully. Near the end of the first day, Julian Tins and Sami Koivu, remote, successfully exploited Firefox and Safari on OS X with a vulnerability in Java. At the time, OS X had Java enabled by default which allowed for reliable exploitation against that platform. However, due to having reported the vulnerabilities to the vendor already, Tin's participation fell outside the rules of the contest and was unable to be rewarded. The next days of the contest did not attract any additional contestants. Chrome, as well as all of the mobile devices, went unexploited in Pwn 2 on 2009. 2010. The competition started at March 24, 2010 and had a total cash prize pool of 100,000 US dollars. On March 15 nine days before the contest was to begin Apple released 16 patches for WebKit and Safari. Concerning software to exploit, $40,000 of the $100,000 was reserved for web browsers, where each target is worth $10,000. Day 1 included Microsoft Internet Explorer 8 on Windows 7, Mozilla Firefox 3.6 on Windows 7, Google Chrome 4 on Windows 7, and Apple Safari 4 on Mac OS X Snow Leopard. Day 2 included Microsoft Internet Explorer 8 on Windows Vista Mozilla Firefox 3 on Windows Vista Google Chrome 4 on Windows Vista and Apple Safari 4 on Mac OS X Snow Leopard. Day 3 included Microsoft Internet Explorer 8 on Windows XP, Mozilla Firefox 3 on Windows XP, Google Chrome 4 on Windows XP, and Apple Safari 4 on Mac OS X Snow Leopard. $60,000 of the total $100,000 cash prize pool was allotted to the mobile phone portion of the contest, each target was worth $15,000. These included Apple iPhone 3GS, RIM BlackBerry Bold 9700, Nokia E72 device running Symbian, and HTC Nexus 1 running Android. The Opera web browser was left out of the contests as a target, the ZDI team argued that Opera had a low market share and that Chrome and Safari are only included due to their default presence on various mobile platforms. However, Opera's rendering engine, Presto, is present on millions of mobile platforms. Among successful exploits were when Charlie Miller successfully hacked Safari 4 on Mac OS X Nils hacked Firefox 3.6 on Windows 7 64-bit by using a memory corruption vulnerability and bypass ASLR and DEP, after which Mozilla patched the security flaw in Firefox 3.6.3. Ralph Philip Weinman and Vincenzo Iazzo hacked the iPhone 3GS by bypassing the digital code signatures used on the iPhone to verify that the code in memory is from Apple. Peter Brugdenheil exploited Internet Explorer 8 on Windows 7 by using two vulnerabilities that involved bypassing ASLR and evading DEP. 2011. The 2011 contest took place between March 9 until 11 during the Ken SEC West Conference in Vancouver. The web browser targets for the 2011 contest included Microsoft Internet Explorer, Apple Safari, Mozilla Firefox, and Google Chrome. New to the Pwn 2 own contest was the fact that a new attack surface was allowed for penetrating mobile phones, specifically over cell phone baseband's. The mobile phone targets were Dell Venue Pro running Windows Phone 7, iPhone 4 running iOS, BlackBerry Torch 9800 running BlackBerry OS 6.0, and Nexus S running Android 2.3. Several teams registered for the desktop browser contest. For Apple Safari, registered competitors included ViewPen, 
Anon underscore 07, Team Anon, Charlie Miller. Mozilla Firefox included Sam Thomas and Anonymous underscore 1. Microsoft Internet Explorer teams included Stephen Fewer, Viewpen, Sam Thomas, and Ahmed M. Sleet. Google Chrome teams included Motes Kader, Team Anon, and Ahmed M. Sleet. For the mobile browser category, the following teams registered. For the Apple iPhone hack attempt, teams included Anon underscore 07, Dion Blazakis and Charlie Miller, Team Anon, Anonymous underscore 1, and Ahmed M. Sleet. To hack the rim Blackberry the teams were Anonymous underscore 1, Team Anon, and Ahmed M. Sleet. To hack the Samsung Nexus S, teams included John Oberheide, Anonymous underscore 1, Anon underscore 07, and Team Anonymous. To hack the Dell Venue Pro, teams included George Hotz, Team Anonymous, Anonymous underscore 1, and Ahmed M. Sleet. During the first day of the competition Safari and Internet Explorer were defeated by researchers. Safari was version 5.0.3 installed on a fully patched Mac OS X 10.6.6. French security firm Viewpen was first to attack the browser. Internet Explorer was a 32-bit version 8 installed on 64-bit Windows 7 Service Pack 1. Security researcher Stephen Fewer of Harmony Security was successful in exploiting IE. This was demonstrated just as with Safari. In day 2 the iPhone 4 and BlackBerry Torch 9800 were both exploited. The iPhone was running iOS 4.2.1, however the flaw exists in version 4.3 of the iOS. Security researchers Charlie Miller and Dion Blazakis were able to gain access to the iPhone's address book through a vulnerability in mobile Safari by visiting their exploit-ridden web page. The BlackBerry Torch 9800 phone was running BlackBerry OS 6.0.0.246. The team of Vincenzo Iazzo, Willem Pinkiers, and Ralph Philip Weinman took advantage of a vulnerability in the BlackBerry's WebKit-based web browser by visiting their previously prepared web page. Firefox, Android, and Windows Phone 7 were scheduled to be tested during Day 2, but the security researchers that had been chosen for these platforms did not attempt any exploits. Sam Thomas had been selected to test Firefox, but he withdrew stating that his exploit was not stable. The researchers that had been chosen to test Android and Windows Phone 7 did not show up. No teams showed up for Day 3. Chrome and Firefox were not hacked. 2012 For 2012 the rules were changed to a capture-the-flag-style competition with a point system. The new format caused Charlie Miller, successful at the event in past years, to decide not to attend, as it required on-the-spot writing of exploits that Miller argued favored larger teams. Hackers went against the four major browsers. At Pwn2 on 2012, Chrome was successfully exploited for the first time. Viewpen declined to reveal how they escaped the sandbox, saying they would sell the information. Internet Explorer 9 on Windows 7 was successfully exploited next. Firefox was the third browser to be hacked using a zero-day exploit. Safari on Mac OS X Lion was the only browser left standing at the conclusion of the zero-day portion of Pwn2 on. Versions of Safari that were not fully patched and running on Mac OS X Snow Leopard were compromised during the CVE portion of Pwn2 on. Significant improvements in the security mitigations within Mac OS X were introduced in Lion. Controversy with Google Google withdrew from sponsorship of the event because the 2012 rules did not require full disclosure of exploits from winners, specifically exploits to break out of a sandboxed environment and demonstrated exploits that did not win. Pwn2 on defended the decision, saying that it believed that no hackers would attempt to exploit Chrome if their methods had to be disclosed. Google offered a separate Ponium contest that offered up to $60,000 for Chrome-specific exploits. Non-Chrome vulnerabilities used were guaranteed to be immediately reported to the appropriate vendor. 
Sergei Glazunov and a teenager identified as Pinkie Pie each earned $60,000 for exploits that bypassed the security sandbox. Google issued a fix to Chrome users in less than 24 hours after the Ponium exploits were demonstrated. 2013 In 2013, Google returned as a sponsor and the rules were changed to require full disclosure of exploits and techniques used. The Mobile Pwn 2 Own 2013 contest was held November 13th to 14th, 2013, during the POC SEC 2013 conference in Tokyo. Web browsers Google Chrome, Internet Explorer, and Firefox, along with Windows 8 and Java, were exploited. Adobe also joined the contest, adding Reader and Flash. Apple Safari on Mountain Lion was not targeted as no teams showed up. French security firm Viewpen has successfully exploited a fully updated Internet Explorer 10 on Microsoft Surface Pro running a 64-bit version of Windows 8 and fully bypassed protected mode sandbox without crashing or freezing the browser. The Viewpen team then exploited Mozilla Firefox, Adobe Flash, and Oracle Java. Pinkie Pie won $50,000, and Google released Chrome updates on November 14 to address the vulnerabilities exploited. Nils and John from MWR Labs were successful at exploiting Google Chrome using WebKit and Windows kernel flaws to bypass Chrome Sandbox and won $100,000. George Hotz exploited Adobe Acrobat Reader and escaped the Sandbox to win $70,000. James Forshaw, Joshua Drake, and Ben Murphy independently exploited Oracle Java to win $20,000 each. The mobile contest saw contestants winning $117,500 out of a prize pool of $300,000. 2014. At Pwn2Own 2014 in March was held in Vancouver at the Ken SEC West Conference and sponsored by Hewlett Packard. All four targeted browsers fell to researchers, and contestants overall won $850,000 of an available pool of $1,085,000. ViewPen successfully exploited fully updated Internet Explorer 11, Adobe Reader 11, Google Chrome, Adobe Flash, and Mozilla Firefox on a 64-bit version of Windows 8.1 to win a total of $400,000 the highest payout to a single competitor to date. The company used a total of 11 distinct zero-day vulnerabilities. Among other successful exploits in 2014, Internet Explorer 11 was exploited by Sebastian Apelt and Andreas Schmidt for a prize of $100,000. Apple Safari on Mac OS X Mavericks and Adobe Flash on Windows 8.1 were successfully exploited by Liang Chen of Keen Team and Zi Guangzhou of Team 509. Mozilla Firefox was exploited three times on the first day, and once more on the second day, with HP awarding researchers $50,000 for each disclosed Firefox flaw that year. Both ViewPen and an anonymous participant exploited Google Chrome. ViewPen earned $100,000 for the crack, while he anonymous entrant had their prize of $60,000 reduced, as their attack relied on a vulnerability revealed the day before at Google's Ponium contest. Also, Nico Jolie of the ViewPen team took on the Windows Phone, the Lumia 1520, but was unable to gain full control of the system. In 2014, Keen Lab hacked Windows 8.1 Adobe Flash in 16 seconds, as well as the OS X Maverick Safari system in 20 seconds. 2015-2017 Every single prize available was claimed in 2015 in March in Vancouver, and all browsers were hacked for a total in $557,500 and other prizes. The top hacker proved to be Yonghoon Lee, who took out IE11, both the stable and beta versions of Google Chrome, and Apple Safari and earned $225,000 in prize money. Other hacks included Team 509 and Keen Team breaking into Adobe Flash, and other breaks in Adobe Reader. Overall, there were five bugs in the Windows operating system, 
4 in Internet Explorer 11, 3 in Firefox, Adobe Reader, and Adobe Flash, 2 in Safari, and 1 in Chrome. Google ceased to be a sponsor of Pwn2Own in 2015. At the contest in March 2016, each of the winning entries was able to avoid the sandboxing mitigations by leveraging vulnerabilities in the underlying OSs. In 2016, Chrome, Microsoft Edge and Safari were all hacked. According to Brian Gorin, manager of vulnerability research at Hope, they had chosen not to include Firefox that year as they had wanted to focus on the browsers that had made serious security improvements in the last year. In 2016, Kiu360 successfully hacked into a pixel in under 60 seconds. In March 2017 in Vancouver, for the first time hackers broke into VMware's virtual machine sandbox. In 2017, Chrome did not have any successful hacks, although only one team attempted to target Chrome, the subsequent browsers that best fared were, in order, Firefox, Safari and Edge. Mobile Pwn2 Own was held on November 1st and 2 in 2017. Representatives from Apple, Google, and Huawei were at the contest. Various smartphones, including ones using Apple's iOS 11.1 software, were also successfully hacked. The 11 successful attacks were against the iPhone 7, the Huawei Mate 9 Pro and the Samsung Galaxy S8. Google Pixel was not hacked. Overall, ZDI that year awarded $833,000 to uncover 51 zero-day bugs. The Team Kiu 360 won the top prize in 2017. 2018 In 2018, the conference was much smaller and sponsored primarily by Microsoft. China had banned its security researchers from participating in the contest, despite Chinese nationals winning in the past, and banned divulging security vulnerabilities to foreigners. In particular, Tencent's Keen Labs and Kiu 360's 360 Vulcan team did not enter, nor any other Chinese nationals. A Tianfu Cup was subsequently designed to be a Chinese version of Pwn2 Own, also taking place twice a year 88 also, shortly before the 2018 conference, Microsoft had patched several vulnerabilities in Edge, causing many teams to withdraw. Nevertheless, certain openings were found in Edge, Safari, Firefox, and more. No hack attempts were made against Chrome, although the reward offered was the same as for Edge. Hackers were ultimately awarded $267,000. While many Microsoft products had large rewards available to anyone who was able to gain access through them, only Edge was successfully exploited, and also Safari and Firefox. 2019 A March 2019 contest took place in Vancouver at the Ken SEC West Conference, with categories including VMware ES11, VMware Workstation, Oracle VirtualBox, Chrome, Microsoft Edge, and Firefox, as well as Tesla. Tesla entered its new Model 3 sedan, with a pair of researchers earning $375,000 and the car they hacked after finding a severe memory randomization bug in the car's infotainment system. It was also the first year that hacking of devices in the home automation category was allowed. In October 2019, Politico reported that the next edition of Pwn2 Own had added industrial control systems. Pwn2 Own Tokyo was held November 6 to November 7, and was expected to hand out $750,000 in cash and prizes. Facebook portal was entered, as was the Amazon Echo Show 5, a Google Nest Hub Max, an Amazon Cloud Cam and a Nest Cam IQ Indoor. Also entered was the Oculus Quest Virtual Reality Kit. In 2019, a team won $60,000 hacking into an Amazon Echo Show 5. They did so by hacking into the patch gap that meshed older software patched onto other platforms, as the smart screen used an old version of Chromium. The team shared the findings with Amazon, 
which said it was investigating the hack and would take appropriate steps. 2020. A new edition of the Pwn2 Own Contest took place when, in Miami at the S4 conference, with SCADA and HMI categories only. The next edition of Pwn2 Own was due to take place in March 2020 at Ken SEC West in Vancouver. Now, I knows how much folks are falling in love with them electric, elf-driving cars, so let's take a look at Tesla Model 3's onboard browser and how it was attacked successfully at Pwn2 Own. Oh yeah. The winning team got to keep the Model 3 it hacked. This here was reported BT, written by Joe Warminski. March 24, 2019, Cyberscoop. A prolific duo of white hat hackers exploited a previously unknown flaw in the web browser for the Tesla Model 3's infotainment system on the third and final day of the Pwn2 Own competition, demonstrating the first automotive zero day in the event's history. Team Flower State aka Amat Kama and Richard Zhu used the Tesla hack on Friday to cap off a dominant run in the competition, which takes place annually during the Ken SEC West Security Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia. Kama and Zhu successfully demonstrated zero-day exploits on popular web browsers and widely used virtualization software during the first two days. The Zero Day Initiative, ZDI, the organization that runs Pwn2 Own, didn't release many details about the Tesla hack. Given the sensitivity of any flaws in automotive software, it's hardly surprising. But the value of Kama and Zhu's research to Tesla is clear, not only did the duo win cash for their demonstration, the automaker let them keep the Model 3 itself. After a few minutes of setup, and with many cameras rolling, they successfully demonstrated their research on the Model 3 internet browser, according to a blog post from ZDI. They used a jitbug in the renderer to display their message, earning $35,000 for the day and a grand total of $375,000 for the entire contest. Telsa said it is already working on fixing the bug, and that it welcomed the chance to expose the Model 3 to the most talented members of the security research community, with the goal of soliciting this exact type of feedback. Teams typically prepare for weeks or months to demonstrate zero-day exploits at Pwn2 Own. There are several layers of security within our cars which worked as designed and successfully contained the demonstration to just the browser, while protecting all other vehicle functionality. In the coming days we will release a software update that addresses this research, a Tesla spokesperson said. We understand that this demonstration took an extraordinary amount of effort and skill, and we thank these researchers for their work to help us continue to ensure our cars are the most secure on the road today. Telsa said welcomes independent security research on its vehicles, and in September it announced that hacking any of its cars as part of a good faith effort would not void the warranty. The other team that was scheduled to demonstrate its Model 3 research, Team Kuna PON, withdrew its entry, ZDI said. Flower State also claimed the overall title of Master of PON by piling up more contest points than any other competitors. ZDI is supported by cybersecurity company Trend Micro. The organization pushes for responsible disclosure of software vulnerabilities and runs a bug bounty program in addition to events like Pwn2 Own. Oh. For you Mac user. Let's see how the MacBook Air gets seized in 2 minutes flat or PON2 Own. Article by Darren Murph. Written March 27, 2008. And just think last year you were singing Dino Dizovi's praises for taking control of a MacBook Pro in 9 whole hours. This year, the PON2 own hacking competition at Ken SEC West was over nearly as quickly as the second day started, as famed iPhone hacker Charlie Miller showed the MacBook Air on display who its father really was. Apparently Mr. Miller visited a website which contained his exploit code, presumably via a crossover cable connected to a nearby MacBook, which then allowed him to seize control of the computer, as about 20 onlookers read, unashamed nerds cheered him on. Of note, 
contestants could only use software that came preloaded on the OS, so obviously it was Safari that fell victim here. Nevertheless, he was forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement that'll keep him quiet until Tipping Point can notify the vendor, but at least he'll have $10,000 and a new laptop to cuddle with during his silent spell. Lastly let's take a look at, Inside the World's Highest Stakes Industrial Hacking Contest. Article written by, Andy Greenberg. At Pwn to Own, hackers had no trouble dismantling systems that help run everything from car washes to nuclear plants. On a small, blue-lit stage in a dim side room of the Fillmore Theater in Miami on Tuesday, three men sat behind laptops in front of a small crowd. Two of them nervously reviewed the commands on a screen in front of them. Stephen Seeley and Chris Anastasio, a hacker duo calling themselves Team Insight, were about to attempt to take over the Dell laptop sitting a few inches away by targeting a very particular piece of software it was running, a so-called human-machine interface, sold by the industrial control systems company Rockwell Automation. Rockwell HMIs appear in industrial facilities around the world, used for manipulating the physical equipment in everything from car washes to nuclear plants. In other words, a hacker can do very dangerous things if they manage to hijack one. A soft beep signaled that a five-minute countdown timer had started. Seely hit the enter key on his keyboard. A tense 56 seconds passed as the hackers looked back and forth at their screens and the target. Finally, they both flashed a relieved smile. Seely mimed wiping sweat from his brow. The third person on the stage, a gruff-looking bald man with a goatee, turned the Dell around, a la Vanna White, revealing the laptop was now running Microsoft Paint. The room broke into applause. The innocuous Paint application, Seely explained as he exited stage left, serves as a stand-in for any malicious software of the hacker's choosing. It could just as easily have been full-featured malware that automatically interacts with equipment, or a basic shell that would allow a hacker to manually run commands on the target machine. What mattered is that Insight had just proven that they could exploit a bug in Rockwell's HMI to achieve so-called remote code execution. They could run any program they wanted on the target computer from across the network or even the internet, in this case with no interaction from the victim. We control this machine, Seely said simply. Seely and Anastasio had just pulled off the first full takeover of a computer at this week's Pwn to Own, the latest round of the world's biggest hacking competition so named because the hackers get to take home the computers they PON, cybersecurity slang for hack or control. But this isn't like previous Pwn to Own events, which have run for more than a decade and pitted hackers against everything from web browsers to phones to cars. Pwn to Own Miami, held at the S4 Industrial Control System Security Conference, has focused its participants' skills for the first time exclusively on industrial control software. Every target is an application that touches physical machinery. The compromises could in many cases have catastrophic effects, from blackouts to life-threatening industrial accidents. Digital flaws, physical havoc. The goal of Pwn to Own has always been to make its hacking targets more secure. The secret vulnerabilities that contestants exploit are discreetly reported to on-site product vendors, and kept under wraps until the company can release a patch. In this case, the competition aims to highlight a set of targets with more devastating potential consequences than ever before. There's a potential for a bad actor to do a lot of damage if they wanted to. Says, Stephen Seeley, Team Insight. It also comes at a time when industrial control system hacking has increasingly materialized in the real world. The blackout attacks that hit electric utilities in Ukraine in 2015 and 2016, the Triton malware designed to disable safety systems in a Saudi oil facility a year later, and more recent hints that Iranian hackers are working to develop industrial control system supply chain attacks all demonstrate the severity of the threat. This is the software that runs the critical infrastructure of the world, says Brian Gorin, 
the head of vulnerability research at Trend Micro and the lead organizer of Pwn to Own. If we want to defend against state-sponsored attacks, this is where we want to find the vulnerabilities, before they're used in the wild. Pwn to Own's new focus on industrial control systems also brings public scrutiny to software that has long lacked it. Most of the companies here typically don't make that code available to security researchers, and only agreed to provide it at the S4 conference's request. Two major industrial control system software makers, GE and Siemens, were notably absent. Nor do these companies offer their own bug bounty rewards, meaning security researchers have neither the access nor incentive to find flaws. So it's significant that the Pwn2 own participants were given three months to study the industrial control system software that would serve as the contest's targets, developing their hacking techniques ahead of the competition. It was the first chance in many of their careers to hack industrial control systems, given that the most of the software licenses cost thousands of dollars. And yet over the three-day competition, contestants successfully hacked every one of the eight industrial control system applications put before them. The hacker contestants managed to achieve remote code execution on every target except an OPC UA server, for which they achieved only a denial-of-service attack that crashed the target software. Some of the targets in the contest were even hacked more than once, with multiple teams finding the same hackable flaws or digging up different ones. Seely, a full-time vulnerability researcher who has reported more than a thousand software flaws to Trend Micro's zero-day initiative bug bounty program over the last five years, says he found industrial control system software a lot softer than what he typically studies. Given the bugs we found for this competition, there's a potential for a bad actor to do a lot of damage if they wanted to, he says. It's quite frightening, to be honest. High drama hacking. Pwn2 own offered hackers as much as $25,000 if they could exploit the target software to demonstrate seamless remote code execution on the victim machine. The members of whichever team won the most individual awards each get another $25,000 Master of PON award. On the first day of Pwn2 own, Team Insight took an early lead with their takeover of the Rockwell Automation HMI. But their points were discounted when the organizers found that the same issue had been reported to Trend Micro's zero-day initiative in recent weeks by a researcher who had somehow finagled access to the software even though the reported bug has yet to be patched. Two other teams academics from Ruhr University Bochum in Germany and independent researchers known as Flashback Team surged past Seely and Anastasio in the standings when both teams hacked two different pieces of common industrial software, exposing vulnerabilities in a total of four products, a different Rockwell Automation HMI application, two control servers sold by Iconics, and a third sold by Inductive Automation. On day two, Seely and Anastasio faced another setback when they tried and failed to gain remote code execution on another HMI sold by Schneider Electric, which another team later successfully compromised. But on the third day, the two-man team staged a comeback, demonstrating two more remote code executions against two more targets, as well as another denial-of-service attack for an extra $5,000. That gave them just enough rewards to barely edge out the competitors from Ruhr University Bochum. The winners of the Pwn2 own competition holding trophy. Team Insight showing off their master of PON trophy. Photograph, Andy Greenberg. In one moment of high drama, Seely and Anastasio initially failed at their attempt to hack a Rockwell automation workstation used for configuring HMIs and industrial control computing equipment. With the countdown clock running out, they managed to sort out the configuration issue in their hacking technique and make it work on a second try, with just five seconds remaining a buzzer beater that would clinch the master of PON trophy for them. It was one of the most intense moments in the history of Pwn2 Own, says Gorin. Patch it up. Even though every single piece of software fell to hackers, the contest nonetheless signaled a positive outcome, says Roger Hill, 
the security portfolio manager for Rockwell Automation. I'm not here to walk away squeaky clean. I'm here to get high-quality security testing, Hill says. He argues that in some cases, Rockwell software could have been configured more securely, the contest used default settings that lack some protections Rockwell's customers can implement, such as a feature called CIP security that adds an extra layer of authentication. But Hill admits that many of Rockwell's customers don't have those security measures in place, either. If we had put our best foot forward, we could have walked away unscathed, Hill claims. But I'm not sure that's representative of most of our customers. Still, pointing out the flaws in critical software and even creating fixes for them doesn't necessarily solve the underlying problem. Industrial facilities often don't patch, not wanting to risk any disruption to their services that introducing a software update might cause, points out Emily Crows, a penetration tester for industrial control system security firm Dragos. It's possible we could see that attack show up in eight months, Crows said after watching a team from security firm Clarity hack an HMI sold by Schneider Electric, using two vulnerabilities chained together. Bless them, they're doing the right thing by putting a patch out there, but it's one of those you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink things. Still, Crows argues that a high-profile demonstration of industrial control system hacking might help to dispel any sense that the software in critical infrastructure is inherently secure. Instead, she hopes it will convince users of those systems that they need defense in-depth, layers of security that don't rely on any single software component. After all, if a collection of two hacker teams incentivized with a mere $25,000 can hunt down hackable flaws in industrial control system software in a matter of months, the state-sponsored hackers with bigger budgets, years-long timelines, and far more malicious intentions can, too. Ha <laughs> ha What y'all think about that? Pawn to own. Where a bunch of hackers get together and sit down and they hack into stuff. Now, what it is is that companies, companies can opt in to pawn to own to see if their stuff can be hacked. You see? You know, you may have you may have a company like um, you know, just say um, just say Tesla, like what Tesla did. I mean, Tesla had a, had a, had their onboard system. You know, they 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 wanted to get penetration testing done to it, so they signed it up. They signed it up for on their own to see if the greatest hackers in the world can hack into their system. Now, I think that's a good thing because they want to find if there's any vulnerabilities. And that's the best way. Now, a lot of companies won't do that. They won't expose themselves like that. But Tesla did do that. And you have a lot of other companies do that. Like you have the browser. You had Microsoft, you know, you had Firefox, you had Bing. Uh, you had a lot of companies sign up. Whenever a, new, a company comes up with something new technology-wise that's going to depend on the Internet and, and digital technology, they want to see if it can be hacked. So they sign up for Palm. So these beautiful smart intelligent hackers from around the world they get together and they try to hack into those systems and if they hack into those systems then the company knows that there's a patch that needs to be updated you know there's a zero vulnerability that 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 system can be compromised and they want the companies want to know this before they put it out there on the market that's why they get so much of them big rewards with hackers for finding you know these vulnerabilities in their system and that's a good thing you know, I think it's a real good thing. I think it's a good thing for those uh, manufacturers or whoever they are, you know, those developers, before they put these digital products out there on the market, that they do these zero-day hacks or these vulnerability testings, that they do this kind of thing. 
Some folks just make things. I remember like back in the day when I was working at General Motors, you know, they would just make cars, make cars, make cars, run them down them assembly lines. And if them cars didn't start when they got to the end of that assembly line, they just pushed it off the uh, end of the assembly line. Pushed off on the end of the assembly line to put it in the parking lot. And when the truck came, loaded up on the truck and sent it to the car dealer. That's why they had high warranties, you know, as far as, as, far as dealing with the car dealer. Because a lot of times the car dealers got cars that didn't even run. Now the car dealer got to fix the car, repair it to get it to run. And they back charge General Motors. But all they General Motors was looking for was the count. They're looking for the count. So many cars got to come, they got to produce a day, right? They got to get that count. So if those cars don't run, right, and they got to push them back and repair them, that means you're going to hold that line up and they ain't going to make no money. They're not going to get that count. So they just push it out there any kind of way. But see, but what corrected that? The reason why General Motors and the Fords and the Chrysler brought their quality up was competition. See, competition always going to make you get your quality up. See, General Motors and Ford and, and Chrysler know that now they just can't push cars out the door and send them to the dealer, expect for the dealer to fix them, and the dealer had about fixing them, charge them big money for fixing them, but then turn around, the customer gets a limit. So then when the customer gets a limit, guess what? The customer ain't going to buy your product no more. That's why the customer buying Hyundai, Kia, and all these other farm cars because the quality is good. And now I must say Ford and GM, the quality on their vehicles has improved, but it improved because of competition. And that's like these, these digital products. It's good to have these hacking folks out there. Stuff like Pawn and some of these some of these other contests that 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 that, uh, that these manufacturers and these developers don't mind putting it in entering their product in to see if they can get hacked to find these vulnerabilities before they sell them to us the customer because if they sell us these flaws uh, systems that can be hacked into and compromised then guess what they're not gonna have no business sooner or later because we gonna stop buying their stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, see, and it goes beyond uh, products to us. I mean, even in the cyber world, you know, when you're talking about countries and national defense, I mean, them Chinese, man, them Chinese, man, they had, they had to stop letting them Chinese in the pond. Because, you know, pond was like what was like an, ind uh, like, like, like an independent hacker thing. Well, you know, you, you had these good hackers individually coming in and competing against each other. But China won't turn into a corporate thing. When China folks in the pond, they got like 19 little 13-year-old hackers in there. And you got 19-year-old, 19, 13-year-old hackers in there, right? Trying to trying to uh doing uh, uh trying to break into a trying to hack into a system against, you know, just one person. You know, just a solo hacker. I mean, that's unfair. Because you see what the rewards is on these things. You know, the rewards are big money. So you got an independent hacker goes to pawn, you know, uh, to compete against other individual hackers. But then when it, when it was letting the Chinese people in, it wasn't individual. It was like 19 of them. It was, it was, it was like country-sponsored hacking, which they do. And like I was telling y'all before, a lot of things going on here in America as far as the privacy and everything being taken away from us by our government, it's because our government has to keep up. I mean, I can look at it as a bad thing, but then I look at this thing worldwide. Our government has to keep up with the rest of the world. You think China just laying around ain't doing nothing? You think North Korea just lying around ain't doing nothing because you haven't heard about them on CNN? 
Huh? You think they are MSN, MSN, MSNBC, whatever the, all them gay station is, who tell y'all propaganda? Because y'all ain't heard that y'all think they just ain't doing nothing? Our government, our cyber agency has to keep up with the rest of the world. So yeah, they got to snoop, they got to spy, they got to do all that kind of stuff on us. Because you know what? Other countries are. North, North Korea has some of the best hackers in the world. Russia has some of the best hackers in the world. China has some of the best hackers in the world because you know what? They be group hacking. It's not individual solo hackers. It's group hackers. Now, hackers get a bad name. I think they get a bad name because folks think hackers are bad. Hackers are not bad. The only bad hackers I would say there is is one who hacked for money. But usually hackers has a lot of principles and a lot of morals. And a lot of hackers don't like hackers who steal. They don't like hackers who compromise stuff, who break stuff. You see what I'm saying? Hackers has a lot of morals. And used time, like hackers are bad with each other to get rid of a bad actor. You see? But just like anything, anything is corruptible. People going to use anything for bad. That's just how people is. It's just human nature. But I found this pawn when I came out, it was very interesting. And I tell folks about these cars, right? Everybody want to... Oh, excuse me. Everybody want to get these electric cars, right? Let me tell you something. You can't stop technology. I understand that. Once a wheel gets rolling down here, you don't get in front of it. Especially if it turns into a snowball. Okay? But, these cars can be compromised very easy. And it don't even have to be one of these self-driving cars. You see what I'm saying? And I'm going to tell you something. Any car with a computer in it that's active, right, can be turned into a self-driving car. Okay? Now, y'all say, well, no, it can't because a lot of the components ain't connected to the steering wheel and all that kind of, sort of you know, knee bone connected to the high bone and left bone, all that kind of stuff. But once a car is taken over, your braking system Use your brakes as a drive, don't you? Even if, if a car is not set up to be stirred by a computer, parts in the systems in your car can be shut down and have you drive into something. But the thing about it is, like I tell y'all, when California, oh, excuse me, California is talking about, after I don't know, I forgot what the year it was, but they're talking about they only want electric cars on their road. To me, that's no good. I don't like that because it's not so much autonomous driving cars it's so much of the control that these companies have and me understanding about hacking right you just think about it just think about it think about how easy it would be for a a bad actor like Chinese or or North Korea if in California, you know, you got all the more weird highways crossing over each other, you know, like like a, like a, like a one of them colloquial parties, you know, all them highways crossing all over each other like a orgy. Now, look, tell y'all like this here. Now, you think about something here. You own, you, you own the 408 or the 101 in, in uh, California. And y'all know how busy them highways get, right? 
You drive your little electric car. They can drive itself. Right? And one of these nation-sponsored bad actors hack into the, to, 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 to the system and take control of all those cars on the highway and just start driving them cars over the edge of one of the highways, over the cliffs or whatever. Think about that. What a bad movie that would be, would it? All y'all, all y'all California, y'all got y'all little self-driving cars. And a bad nation-sponsored hacking group gets in there and they hack the system and start driving them cars into each other and across the road. You won't need no bomb. You kill thousands and thousands and thousands more people right there on the highway, driving them off the cliff into each other. Think about that. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like no orphan wells or war of the worlds or anything like that. But that's the kind of thing I think about. That's what I think about. You sitting at home, okay? You sitting inside your house. You got your little smart devices, as you call them, right? You got your little smart devices, the little thing that lock your door for you and open your door for you, cut your heat up, right? Monitors, all kind of stuff inside your house. And you sitting there one night, right? One night. Matter of fact, it even opens your windows up for you because you, you can't, you're so lazy, you can't even open your window no more. So you got these little devices that lock and close and open your window. If you inside your house at some nation-sponsored hacking group, right? All of a sudden, come there and lock your house down. Lock your house down. Turn your heat up to 99 degrees while you're inside of it. Lock your doors where you can't get out. Right? Start turning stuff on in your house that overloads the system and set your house on fire. While you got somebody outside pouring gasoline all around your house and you can't get out. So you lock inside your own house. You ain't even got bars on your house like in the projects. You just got to take knives inside your house and lock your whole house down. Because you got too lazy to lock your own door. You got too lazy to open your own window. You got too lazy to set your own thermostat. Right? You can't even call the police to help. Because, because now Siri or whatever that gal name is, she ain't listening to you. Right? You ain't got no cell phone signal because they ain't set your cell phone signal down. You ain't got no lights inside your house. It's nighttime. You're bumping into everything because you never took time to remember where everything was inside your house because you always had lights. You see what I'm saying? You always had lights. Like your phone number. You don't remember nobody's phone number because you always got it inside the phone. So you walk around the house, you wake up and it's hot and burn up inside the house. Can't get outside the house because the windows are locked. You know, when you got them big, thick, trick of, trip, triple panes because you can't break them because you, you were scared of them hurricanes or something coming through. Or a burglar coming in, so you got a triple pain, but it can't even be broken. Can't get out because the system got it locked out. Can't call a popo because you ain't getting no signal. You ain't got no bar because you ain't got no house phone anymore. You don't have no analog phone anymore. You took that out because everything digital now. You ain't need it. You do everything on your cell phone now. You can't see. You walk around your house at late night. You can't see. You walk into everything because you ain't never remember like a blind person where everything at. You ain't got no candles because you always depend on you depend on electricity so much. Right? Can't cut your TV on. No light, no nothing. Just a prison inside your home. You got some fool on the outside pouring gasoline around the house and light you on fire. I'm telling y'all. That's how I take that's how I'm giving y'all a real life example on how this technology thing works. Right? 
Tell me give a real loud example. You know, you at work. You at work working. And you get a text on your phone. You get a text on your phone that something happened, something, something happened to your, your wife. You know, your kid or something. You leave work, jump in your car, try to run to the hospital to see what's going on. You just lost four hours of pay. God dang it. Oh, oh, the false alarm. The wife and kid at home say, but somebody call you on the phone, tell you that the voice sound just like your wife. The voice sound just like your kid. But it ain't them. And you just lost four, five hours of pay. Got out work early, run to the hospital, and it's in a false alarm because technology's got so bad now that they can sound like you. And you don't even know. You online. You online and you doing your research. Maybe on Pornhub. <laughs> you doing your research, okay? And then all of a sudden now, all these web pages of these little gals or these underage folks start popping up on your screen. Right? You ain't, you, you ain't, you ain't go to that stuff. What's going on here? Then all that stuff get locked down on your computer. And then all of a sudden, somebody sent a message to the FBI's or whatever and said, hey, this person was looking at them underage little, little kids. Now they come locking on your Joe and that stuff on your computer. I'm going to tell y'all, I'm not trying to be Orson Welles here, but let me tell y'all what can happen. When you're dealing with technology, especially you dealing with companies that you're buying these technologies for, who don't do these vulnerability testing, who don't try to find the weak spots or the zero-day hacks in their systems, this is what can happen. It can be compromised by a bad hacker or a bad nation sponsor group of hackers like them Chinese. Just like them Chinese. And just like y'all folk walk around there with them Honolulu phones, Hawaii phones, and y'all be on them doggone... Um, What's that look them, them, them kids be on? Uh, TikTok. TikTok like a dang on fool. Y'all on that TikTok? <laughs> okay. Alright. Black them Chinese. They bad actors. Now let me tell you something. Now I'm not saying that America is the greatest. What I'm saying is I live in America. I don't care nothing about no China or no Korea. I live in America. And our government has to do things to keep up with the rest of the world. They know what's going on. Right? Now y'all say because of Illuminati and all that. Let me tell you something. This technology thing here is goes way beyond Illuminati. The people who have the control are the people who understand the technology. Politicians don't understand the technology. They really don't. But the hackers do. But what the politicians do understand, the politicians understand power and control. They know, they know if they can find a hacker, they can lock his tail up. But let me tell you something. These hackers got the power. And this is the thing that I say about education. Now, here's the thing that really, really disappoints me about our education system. Now, y'all know I just did that talk on schools, prison pipeline how we locking our kids up 
instead of educating. How we taking money out the school system in order to give to the correctional system. I mean, if this country ain't going out the world but backwards, let me tell you something. The rest of the world is educating their kids. They're not so much educating their kids on reading, writing, mapping. They're educating their kids on technology. Let me tell you, North Korea has a big, big computer program where they're teaching their kids cyber technology. They're teaching their kids hacking. They're teaching their kids about computer vulnerabilities. China the same way. They big. They invest a lot in their schools. They ain't teaching their kids. They ain't teaching their kids about no Columbus. They ain't teaching their kids about no, no pilgrims. They ain't teaching their kids about all that other stuff. They teaching their kids technology. Because that's the future. And what we doing to our kids over here? We investing in correctional instead of investing in technology. Even the poorest countries around the world, India, which is not a poorest country, but India is big on teaching their kids technology. A lot of them bring their kids over here, send their kids over here. And then their kids go right back over there to India, take all that good learning with them. And we got kids right over here. We can't even educate. Let me tell you something right now. Now, if I was the president of this country, I'm looking to the future. I'm looking to strengthen this country. If you want to strengthen this country, strengthen this country, do you have you gotta do it through technology. You can't depend on a single source like Silicon Valley to secure your future technology-wise. You have to have young future uh, kids that's learning this technology. But see, we don't want to teach our kids, like I said, we want to send them to jail. We want to give money to the prisoners' pipelines and stuff like that. But the rest of the world is trying to educate their kids. Trying to, and, well, I ain't going to say that because I don't want to give everything away. But certain countries need to start investing in technology. Stop trying to keep up with the rest of the world and, and make all these, get all these production factories to make cars and all this other all this old other crap, clothes and designer. No. If you want to get with if you want to get with the world, you better learn technology. And getting a laptop and a computer to start with don't cost a whole lot of money. You know, all these developing countries, even Venezuela, what's going on in Venezuela? Venezuela got a big hacking program or or computer uh, technology industry. It ain't everybody. You know, they kind of like the United States. They don't want to educate everybody, but they only they only want a few. We don't need a few. We don't need everybody educated. But if you want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the day is easy using technology. Using you get you a laptop and your computer and you start learning. Can you imagine? I want y'all just imagine something with me for a minute here. If your child spent as much time learning computer programming and coding as they do playing them Xboxes and them Grand Theft Auto things and all them old killing games, if they spent more time or just as uh, just about as much time learning computer coding and programming and system hacking 
And I like to say, don't look at hacking like it's a bad thing, because hacking is not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when it's done by bad actors. But what get what I'm saying if is if your child spending much time doing these kind of things on the computer instead of just blowing their mind up, playing all them old killing and all them old crazy nasty games, Fortnite and all that stuff, how much ahead would we as a collective country be? Huh? How much ahead probably would you be as a parent? Knowing that your future when you get old and you can't work in the factory no more or sit down at a desk inside of a cubicle blowing processed, breathing processed air that your kid is going to be ready for the digital age, for the technology that's a come. Your kid going to be ready. And when your kid ready, that means he going to take care of you. Like I always tell y'all folks, I go back and I preach it, I preach it, I preach this. If ain't nobody else to educate y'all kids, y'all to educate your own kids. Stop trying to always look to the government to always educate y'all kids, because government ain't studying about educating y'all kids. Now, it don't take nothing for the same parent that go out there and spend two, three hundred dollars on a pair of doggone Nike tennis shoes, spend a two, three hundred dollars, go to the flea market, get you a computer, right? And and go online and find some of these computer coding classes. Matter of fact, I'll watch a shark tank. And Shark Tank had these two guys from California. They came on here. They came on there with this program on on, on no, it wasn't no, two guys. It was two, it was, uh, two guys. They came on there with a program that start this early learning, teaching kids how to code. You know, eight, nine, ten year old kids how to code. Go right online, start a kid. They show you sign up for it, like twelve dollars a month. Sign your kids up for twelve dollars a month. Your kids can, your, your, your eight, nine, six, probably the lower six years old, can learn how to start coding. You take that same $13 and you go and you sign up for Netflix. You subscribe to one of them old HBOs or whatever, whatever them subscription things is. But you can't sign up to $13 for a monthly program to teach your kid how to code. This is what I'm saying. Technology is so advanced right now. If, if the school system is telling you that you can teach your kids at home online, then that means there's other resources and programs online that you can go out and buy, and your kids can learn online at the same time, too. If you don't want to send your, your kid, kid, uh, kid back to school, go online and find some of these computer computer coding, uh, coding uh, writing code, some of these programs, and let your kids start learning this. Get the foundation of this computer thing. Take responsibility for your own kids. See, it's the parents. That's why China and everybody else, they run away and rock shot over America, over our kids. Our kids are so ignorant because they're sitting around, because not because the kids are ignorant, because the parents are ignorant. Because the parents waiting on the school system to educate them. If you look to the future, it ain't going to be sitting in no doggone classroom. So the future is now. There's a lot of educational programs you can go online. Now, what I do say about education is that your kids need a social environment. He can't be no computer worm and not be around people. So he got to spend so much time on that computer learning coding. But then he got to get outside and go with other kids and do something. And I'm not talking about going with somebody's house and then sit down there and play on them game theft auto, all that crap stuff. I'm saying social. Like, get outside, do things. Look up, look up, stand up at a tree or screw up at a tree or something. Him and some old fellas. He's got to have a social contact with other folks. 
But at the same time, is these parents, y'all got to take responsibility for y'all kids. And this technology thing is where it's at in the future. If your kid don't know this technology thing, they ain't, they ain't gonna make it. They ain't gonna make it. This is where this, this is where it's at. You know, if you poor, you ain't got no money. You know, you raise you a single mother or a single parent. But yeah, you can you can afford no money to go, to, to go get your kids some old pair of them old high price shoes with somebody else's name on it, or the more high fashion amount of clothes that ain't worth a hill of beans, and they go out of style in the next two months. Take some of that money and, like I say, go to flea market and get you and buy your kid a laptop for sixty five dollars or something at a flea market. Start a laptop. I remember this. I was listening to one podcast one time. I don't know the two. Don't remember the specifics of it, but the generalization of it was these kids in uh, I think it was Africa somewhere. No, it was India, some a part of India, where they did this experiment where they dropped this old laptop off. Right, they dropped the old laptop off to this old village in India. Right, within two weeks, those kids had learned how to turn. No, within a week they had learned how to cut that cut that laptop on. Within two weeks they had learned they had learned how to type on it. Had to open up and type on it. Three weeks they learned the different applications, and so far, so far, without any help, they just took that dog on laptop and just dropped it off over there. And them kids on their own start learning that laptop, how to cut it on, how to use the keyboard, different functions of it, without no instruction, just on their own. Kids, they say, look, kids got together. They got together like in a football huddle. And they would sit there for hours and hours looking at that thing, just doing different things, hitting buttons, doing different things, seeing what it done, seeing what it do. With no instructions. And now some of them, some of them same kids today, you know what they're doing? They're writing codes. Some of them are hackers. That same little village. What brought that little village up out of poverty was what? Technology. The new technology. But it took about 15 years or so for them to come up. 10, 10, 15 years for them to come up out of that. But that village came up eventually because the kids started learning technology. Because each one was teaching one. When you get together a group like that and y'all look at that computer and you're doing something, everybody going to remember everything. But somebody, else, somebody may remember, hey, you hit that key and that key did this. And this man remember that that did that. So they get this, they got together, they collaborated at a young age. We're talking about a little teenage, little nine teenager. Six, seven-year-old kids collaborating and learned that system on their own. And now they grown. And they in the computer technology. And like I said, some of them are hackers. And that village is a lot more prosperous than it was when that laptop was first dropped off. Now I think this experiment was done, I want to say probably about 20 years ago or so like that. Okay, something like that. I think it was born a long time ago because it was an old laptop, and you know they dropped off over that. But it was just an experiment to see how long would it take. You know, can anybody learn? How long? How long would it take for these folks to learn it, or if they can learn these computers? Just drop the laptop off, and they did. And here we are over here in America. We got all the resources in the world to go online to learn computer coding, learn computer hacking, or whatever you want to learn. We got all the resources in the world. And we complain about somebody else ain't educating our kids. Now, I'm tired of blaming the government. I'm telling y'all right now, I'm tired of blaming the government. 
for miseducation out of the uh, kids. Now, I know the systemic thing that the government doing is wrong, but you as a parent need to find a way to, so your kids don't get caught in that trap. That's what you got to do. But you got to start learning y'all kids this computer stuff. More so than that, you got to learn, teach them how to use this computer stuff. Because, see, when these folks go on there and they find these, 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 uh, these zero-day hacks, Right when they find these things, when they find these vulnerabilities, if they don't find it, and a lot of them don't get found. A lot of this stuff is tracking you online. You know, a lot of this stuff is malicious malware. You know, when they, when 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 things aren't vulnerability tested right. See, pawn pawn pawn. They don't they don't do a vulnerability hack on everything. See, companies have to sign up to have their stuff vulnerability tested against. But there's a lot of companies out there, like say, probably y'all use out there, have that stuff been tested vulnerability, and then you have companies, you, you have you have hackers out, independent uh, freelance, I'm going to go call them, freelance hackers out here that just go into different sites like Amazon or wherever, and they try to hack into it. And if they find a hack, if they hack into it, then they can contact Amazon, and Amazon will give them a reward. See, because technology is ever-changing. And then, like uh, Microsoft, that's why when your computer asks you to update, update your computer when your computer asks you to update. Because that means there's a patch. A patch is, is, a patch is patching a hole. Patching a hole that because there's a, a, a vulnerability there. In your system, they can be compromised. So when Microsoft or anybody asks you to update your system, you update your system. That's all that is. But this article here, was, this thing here, was very interesting to me. A lot of stuff I kind of knew, but I don't know how to articulate. Now, I'm just old Louisiana boy. I can only think what I can think. But I try to learn as much as I can about things. I may not be able to articulate it very well. But I try to learn as about as much thing as I can. When I see it, I know it. May can't talk about it, but when I see it, I know it. And what I see is, I like pawn the own. I like that there's organizations, no, not so much organizations, but there's groups and competition out there like this that bring the best in mind in the world together and hackers and look at some of these commercial uh, uh, products that we're using to see if it's safe to use and if there's any vulnerabilities in it and communicate those vulnerabilities back to the manufacturers at the same time these, these hackers are making money but then I look at I look deeper I look deeper and look at the American system and we need to do a better job of educating our kids on technology and a lot of the parents out there that's why I do the talks like this here too I do it for you parents out there you grown folks who don't know this computer stuff to make y'all aware of some of this stuff that's going on out here in technology. Some of you use around your home. That's why I do little pot talk. Because we can't be we can't be so grown to where we think that we can't learn. Because we need to learn about these new things. Now I'm not saying we don't use them. I'm just saying that we have to be aware of how we use them. I give you a perfect example. Whenever I go, before I click on a website, I look at the URL. If the URL says HTTP colon forward slash I don't click on it. 
If it says HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash, I click on it. You know what the difference is just in looking at that in your browser alone? If it doesn't have a HTTPS, that means it's not secure. If it has a HTTPS, that means most likely it's secure. It's a secure client. See, a lot of clone sites, they don't use the S. Now, that may change in the future as these hackers get smart with their development, but that's one thing that you can look at to keep you from clicking on stuff malicious. If it's, look at that, look at the URL, the beginning of the URL. If it's HTTP colon slash slash, don't click on it. It's not secure. See, let's stuff like that. You, that you have to learn to realize. Even in the spelling. If, if you if you look if, if you look at a URL in your browser and it has a lot of uh, um, uh, hyphens and, and percentage signs and a whole lot of junk in there, don't click on it. It may not be secure, especially if it don't have an S behind it. That may be a clone site or a hacking site or a phishing site. Pop some malware on your system. See little stuff like that. I look at it. If I go to website, I'm looking at a website. That a particular company I'm going to, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the URL, HTTPS colon colon colon. Then I'm, I'm looking at, <coughs> I'm looking at the word in it. If it's a complete word with a printer.com or that net, okay, I can click on it. But if I look at it, and it's HTTP no s colon slash slash. It then has words and it has commas and and percentage signs and all that junk in there. I'm not clicking on it because that's not secure. See stuff like that that y'all need to learn as go as at, uh, as grown folks to try to keep your system as clean as possible. Also, always use always use something like Norton. Use some security on you. It it won't one hundred percent protect you, but at least you have something on. It's like putting a condom on. You know, you may you, you may get, just get the con the condom on the tip, and the condom may not slide all the way down. Well, according to, according to who you is, may not slide all the way down. But at least you got some protection on. Instead of being raw dog. So you have to look at these systems and you have, as grown folk, we have to learn how to intelligently use these systems. Okay? So, that's my little rant there. Yeah, my little rant. On Paul Known. I thought it was very interesting that you got that you get that, that you got a, a, a company or organization like the, like Pawn out there that do some of these vulnerability tests on some of these things that we're using. Now, uh, Pawn used to be used to be just like you know web browser testing. You know now they in the product testing also. You know you know email testing vulnerabilities in emails vulnerability like I say again in uh, in products. You know, like like uh, like like Tesla cars and other products to come, Siri and all that kind of stuff. So it's good. Te- uh, good. We have companies like Pond. I mean, we have organizations like that. Pond out, Pond out there, because it also gives the winner. It compensates the winner financially. So a hacker is not out there just wasting their time. You know, doing these hack. You know, he's hacking for something. You know, he's hacking for something. I mean, he's being rewarded. But should I say he's being rewarded for finding these zero-day hacks in some of these systems before these products reach us? Yeah, bad. Yeah, a lot of bad actors out there. Yeah, a lot of good actors out there. But it's the internet. Some people call it the wild, wild west. But the good thing about the internet, I say to a certain degree, better than the wild, wild west. You know, without of course killing folks with a six shooter. 
is that it pretty much polices itself, kind of. Because the good actors don't like the bad actors. And the good actors will get together to go after a bad actor. These, these folks have a lot of integrity. Some do, some don't. But the integrity is there. And like I say, there's a few folks I know I don't mess with. I don't mess with the IRS. I don't mess with the government, especially FBI or anything. I don't mess with them. Y'all think y'all brave out there. And I don't mess with hackers. <laughs> All right, now, look, I'm going out of here. Look, like I tell y'all, this Maduro, Pedro Maduro, this show is a good stick. Go to your local cigar spot first. You can't find your local cigar spot. Y'all goes online to those, the CIA, a hoax, or anyone like that. Build up a humidor. But always show, shop locally first. All right? Now, like I tell y'all, they're closing all the time out there. Y'all take care of everybody. More importantly, y'all take care of yourself first. All right, now. Hey there, Ken, folk. This is Uncle Maduro. Look, if y'all been enjoying these little pie talks here I'll be giving, then won't y'all consider buying old Uncle Maduro a cigar? You can go right there to my little wave page there and donate. Donate to Uncle Maduro just for the price of one cigar. And man, let me tell you, I keep on doing these little talks here that I'll be giving.